Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello again, everybody, and great to be with you again for another Motorsport Magazine podcast. And today is one for all you bikers. Well, all you racers, really. But we're on two wheels today because we have with us Jeremy McWilliams. He's come all the way from Belfast to be with us today. Well done, Jeremy. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thanks. Fantastic. Um, in this podcast today, it's slightly different because we'll be talking to Jeremy. And we've also got lots of nice questions from you, our listeners. But we'll also be getting into our Motorsport Magazine Hall of Fame, won't we, Damien? Yes, so we've had Formula One, we've had sports cars, and now we're, we're looking at the motorcycle world. Um, so today um, we're going to ask Jeremy, and we've got Matt Oxley with us as well, who's our motorcycle correspondent, to talk about the great heroes of motorcycle racing and who should go on the shortlist of 12 who you can then vote for to go into the <laughs> Hall of Fame next year. Okay. Jeremy McWilliams is a pretty obvious choice, I should think, wouldn't you? <laughs> anyway, okay, yeah, we have Matt, <laughs> Matt Oxley, Damien Smith, Simon Aaron, and of course, next to me here, Jeremy. Um, can I start with, with um, something I read about you last night, which is that, that until um, Scott Redding came along, you were the only man to get a pole or a win in a MotoGP GP championship race for a whole decade, is that right? I think it even seemed like longer than that, to be honest. Yeah, it went on forever and ever. It was always this uh, this, this kind of thing in the background that somebody had to, to, you know, to pick it up from way back in the Barry Sheen days, really. And uh, I was I was lucky, you know, I wasn't obviously the greatest Grand Prix racer of you know, from you know from our our shores anyway. I don't I don't believe, but lucky enough to to pick up a win in uh, in Aston in two thousand and one. A uh, couple of pole positions and a couple of you know decent races and podiums, you know before and afterwards. But I suppose that you know that win was just it was kind of always there for the taking. And I'd, I'd, I'd never been in the position, or, or you know it just hadn't hadn't really worked out for me. So it, it kind of played into my hands because the weather wasn't perfect uh, at Assen, and uh, we made the correct tire choice. And at the time, I remember having a a real argument with uh, Dieter Stafford, my my team boss. You know, who who he wanted me to go with it. We were on the front row, and he wanted me to go with the same tires as everybody else. Everybody was using wets, and I decided to use intermediates. So you know, that was kind of half the reason, you know, that we 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 got there. But there was times before that where I'd finished second in Germany in 1998 with um, Valentino and 
and uh, Cabarossi just in behind me, and uh, I think Harada won that race. So there, there were, I believe, other better races, but of course, you know, wins a win. God, wouldn't it be wonderful to say, and Valentino Rossi behind me. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow, that's worth dining out on. Uh, by the way, I should tell you, everybody, that we're in the Chelsea Ram, which is our local pub for Motorsport Magazine. The reason we're here is quite complicated. It's all to do with Jeremy's travelling arrangements. But anyway, we are also moving offices. This coming weekend, we're moving up to Finchley in North London. So we thought it was only right that we should have one last session in, our, in the Chelsea Ram. So just to explain the surroundings, um, you rode for you rode for Yamaha, you rode for Aprilia, Team KR, you rode for Ilmore. I mean, it's a fantastic career. Do do you do you look back on it and and with with real pride and pleasure, or do you sometimes think, oh, if only I'd done this, that, or the other? Uh, I I think Matt'll back me up on this one, but we've always kind of been on the uh, you know, and absolutely no regrets, but never really got to the the front of the pecking order for um for factory machinery and i suppose you know that's part to do with you know having a passport from you know northern ireland it's <laughs> it's probably uh, more difficult to get a ride when you're from either uk you know northern ireland ireland uh, than it would be obviously if you were spanish or italian or or french even but but no i, I mean i i think the the rides that that i did get you know right from even the QB uh, 250 Honda, even before I got factory support from Aprilia, you, you know, I couldn't have really got had any better at the time. You know, even though it wasn't full factory, it was as close to factory as we could get at the time. And we, you know, we were, I, I think, doing you know better than most on a on a bike that was only a little bit below par. It wasn't too far away from the factory bike. So uh, I look back on those days as you know probably the the best days of my gp career even though you know later on we went to aprilia with uh, the factory um 500 you know twin cylinder 500 difficult years and then kenny roberts three cylinder which again you know slightly the underdog was, is, it was much more fun to kind of be biting away at the heels of the factory riders on on you know subpar machinery yeah i think jeremy spent most of your career well the, the, the one thing about Jeremy is his career hasn't finished yet he's still racing <laughs> age 51 are you now yeah, for yeah. my sins yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and he was kind of always the underdog he never really had quite the best machinery but he, he mentioned the QUB years when he was riding that's Q, Q, Queen's University Belfast and remind me of the, the it was Robert Fleck but who was the guy yeah. before Robert Fleck um, Professor Blair. Yeah, Professor Gordon Blair, who was a real two-stroke genius. So they were doing an awful lot of two-stroke development at Queen's University Belfast. So I kind of always thought that was a really cool team with a, with a university yeah, yeah, sure. sponsoring a race team. Absolutely. Um, and, and they were very clever people um, doing some great things. And it was just lovely to see that a tight little team really giving the factory teams a real hard time. You've just brought Jeremy in from Heathrow Airport in the back of your Triumph Tiger, haven't you? He looked a bit. He looked a bit shaky when he got here. I got to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we were in a hurry. We were a bit late. Still, Still shaking. <laughs> I don't think I really. Oh, I didn't think. I mean, I'm. I'm much worse than that on my own. So, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I felt I'm, him sort of. Is the, the, you know when you're going too fast on a bike with a pillion when you get the sort of the squeeze <laughs> when you go for a gap you, you feel them trying to make the back yeah. the bike narrower by squeezing their knees in. But uh, we got here in one piece. So I'm used to but he's refused my offer of a lift onward yeah. to Euston. He's <laughs> Going car, in the car. I'm used to having my, my knees out and elbows out and actually I've never had them so close into my body. 
as, as I did today. But yeah, if, if you, that's something to be experienced. If you, if you, you might have some tickets in the post, but <laughs> but it was definitely, a, it was definitely, a, it got got the heart rate up there. Yeah. Actually, talking about talking about um, elbows, Jeremy, um, MotoGP racing or Grand Prix bike racing, anyway, has, has changed quite a lot in recent years, hasn't it? In terms of how far you can get that bike over. I mean, do you do you look at it now and like 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 I do? Well, not like I do, but I just can't believe th these angles. I think I, I, obviously the you know tire development has come on such a way, you know, and even in ten years, you know, never mind over twenty years, or you yeah. know, from even from you know the the the, the Sheen days, yeah. tire development when they were just starting to scrape their knee, you know, back in Kenny Roberts, I think was one of the first. Right to what you know, Marquez is doing now, which is virtually you know shoulder on the tarmac, or you know Scott Redding doing the same. Obviously, that's to do with with uh, you know Bridgestone's incredible development of, of the the MotoGP tire, and we were lucky at the beginning when with with Team Roberts, we were actually the first team to use the Bridgestone. So I kind of saw how that was progressing at, at a at a very very an incredibly fast pace, you know, whereby. You'd go to one racetrack and really not not have a you know have a problem with the tire. You'd have the engineers there; they'd be taking notes, and within two weeks they'd come back with a tire that worked on that on that surface. So, very very clever um, company, and, and 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 obviously as as time's gone on, they've put that to good practice. You know, the Bridgestone tire at the moment is is better than anything's ever been. You know, on on uh, certainly in, at MotoGP level, as as are the Dunlops in in Moto2, but. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think anybody would believe that they would have been getting the kind of angles that they're getting right now, and uh, you know, sometimes to the detriment because you know it kind of makes it nearly more dangerous in some mm. cases because there is no limit any longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very difficult to find that limit, uh, and even at you know warm-up heat-up times are, uh, are are actually much more um, critical now than they might maybe would have been with uh, tires that don't sort of offer this kind of traction. It makes for fantastic television, though, Matt, doesn't it? I mean, it's a, gr a really great TV sport, and it's the thing is, it's always exciting. You know, there's always there's some amazing battle, isn't? There? Yeah, I think now MotoGP is in a really good place. When we had the 800s a few years ago, which were very different motorcycles, with sort of small, much less torque, and there was only one way you could ride them, and everybody got a bit. We had some two or three years of really quite horrible processional racing but once they've gone back to the thousands and uh, Bridgestone have kind of made their tires a bit more friendly so you just get a much bigger mix of people that can ride these things to the limit and yeah at the moment it is just astonishing and also Marquez turning up you know he gave everybody a real kind of kick up the ass and for whatever reason he's not doing it this year I think he's just not quite getting on with the bike the way he used to um, but yeah him and, and Rossi sort of the resurgence of Rossi is obviously just you know, you couldn't make it up. And then you've got Lorenzo, who, you know, seemed to be finished once Marquez came in and, and has now come back. So, it, it, yeah, it's just astonishingly good at the moment. Every, every race you're on the, you, you are sort of on the edge of your seat, you know. You are. Um, I recently watched the Hitting the Apex uh, documentary, which is fantastic, really enjoyed it, about you know, the last sort of 15 odd years or so of racing. Do you, I mean, do you think this is the the best era that we've we've seen? I mean, it's been such a great era for. It's <laughs> a good question. You know, I think that's that that's typical of every generation. Every generation believed that they had the the best years of GPs. You know, you go back and listen to anybody that that watched or knew Mike Hillwood. You know, yeah. that that was their. You know, he was in their eyes 
Mike the Bike, the greatest racer of all time. You know, our, our era at the moment, my era at the moment, you know, was, was coming from the Wayne Rainey years into, you know, through Swans, McDoon, uh, right the way through, you know, some amazing riders through my career that I, I, I got and, and raced with, you know, DeGiro Cato um, and then Valentino Rossi. And that, I think, is the generation right now have probably got what we believe is the best. But, you know, you speak to that older generation, you know, that... <laughs> they still believe that, that you know that, that Mike was or or Ralph yeah. Brands before that. Yeah, I think I, I would say now is the best racing we've had since the era. Jeremy was luckily enough lucky enough to be well when you were first in 500 Grand Prix with Duan, Schwantz, Lawson, Gardner. Um, uh, that was a very, very, very special era for all kinds of reasons, and I think we're we're pretty much there now. You know, we got three, four guys who are battling all the time. And, and you know, people say these bikes aren't, they're easy to ride compared to the 500s. Well, they might be easy to ride, but no bike or car is easy to drive to the limit. They all take a different skill or a different um, way of riding to take them to the limit. So it doesn't matter what you, you're on, it's still difficult to take it to the limit. The 500s were less forgiving, but uh, you know, these things can be pretty scary as well. I mean, they're doing 225 miles an hour down the straight at Mugello, you know, cranked over through that kink that didn't even used to be a corner with one wheel in the air mm. and then and then well which is where Marquez crashed last year you know at yeah. 209 yeah. miles an hour I mean just you know I mean that's it's scary stuff which I think it should be you know that's why I like yeah, it because it's you know it's on the edge of your you know you're on the edge of your seat when we I, my, when I started my career you know from the the, the the early days with with the 500 Yamaha was a privateer Yamaha but everybody believed that that was the most difficult bike to ride back then I don't believe it, it it was looking at today's machinery. Certainly, it, it would bite you back. You know, they had a, a really bad habit of, of seizing, you know, in, in the most an, an opportune time on the circuit or a gearbox locking up solid or flicking you over the, you know, the handlebars just because it made such a, uh, it had such a small, um, you know, power band. But I think today's bikes have got to be more difficult to ride than those 500s were. Mm. Who, who were the riders that inspired the young Jeremy McWilliams? Uh, you know, watching, well, way back, you know, we watched uh, the Pro-Am uh, 350, which I think you probably raced in. You could be old enough to race in that, weren't you? Yeah, I think you had to. Well, certainly wasn't Matt that inspired me, but other riders in that generation might have, you know, the Neil McKenzie's and uh, Chambers from memory. Yeah, Steve Chambers, Chambers, Neil McKenzie, Kenny I mean, Irons, Kenny Irons uh, yeah. Rob McElnay, yeah. all, all that kind of late mid late 80s surge of British talent which was actually I think we're now back to where we were for the first time since then we've got a good group of you know Jeremy when he was doing Grand Prix as far as Brits getting near the front was pretty much on his own I think weren't you there wasn't really anybody else British no, there's, around there's quite a few at the time when I started there was um, Sean Emmett and John Reynolds uh, came from British Championship into Grand Prix uh, so we were kind of the three at the time Neil McKenzie was still the daddy you know, he was he was the one to beat, and it took us a while to get up to the needles level. And then I remember, you know, beating him then uh, the year after, you know, about '94, '95, and I think that's around about the time when Needle's career. You know, he, I think he came back to British Championship then, but he, his, his GP career uh, kind of what you know basically fizzled out at that time. And so there was really it was whoever could stick at it the longest, and that's really what happened. It was who, who could stick it, who could stay there and get another contract year on year <laughs> was really how we, kind of how we, we progressed. And it was much easier to walk away from it than it was to 
to, to keep at it. You know, I very nearly walked away from it after one year through injuries, you know, picking up really serious injuries and, you know, knocking myself out and, you know, cracking vertebrae and doing all kinds of damage and to a point, you know, where I had to go and get little operations in my hand to enable you, you know, a, a, a carpal tunnel syndrome and all kinds of just little minor injuries that kind of maybe just, you know, think at the end of the year, should I be doing this or not? And I car carried on. Thankfully, I did, you know, and, and then it got better, you know, but it, it was such scrum pre, such a difficult championship to step into. You, even, you know, you see it now. You see riders that are at the top of the level anywhere else in the world. They step into Grand Prix, yeah. whether it's anywhere, Moto3, Moto2 or, or uh, MotoGP and, and really struggle for, you know, like as Scott has, you know, for a number of years until he's just starting to, yeah. to work his way up to a point where he's, he's competitive. It's good though, because it shouldn't be easy, should it? You know, I mean, we're not talking about cars today, but some people say Formula One today is too easy, otherwise these young kids wouldn't be as quick as they are. It should be. I mean, it, the top should be the absolute top, and it should be a real challenge, shouldn't it? It, it is. It, it, you know, it certainly is. It's more, uh, as you say, you, you know, with Formula One, you know, we, we still don't really rate Formula One as, as highly as we rate MotoGP, you know, <laughs> sitting amongst car people here. <laughs> and, and I know it's you okay, probably don't, don't agree with that, but, but you know, we, we, still, we still believe that, you know, MotoGP is the pinnacle of, of, of any motorsport, you know, and I think anybody that, 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 that watches it as, as closely as we do, and, and, and as, as Matt was saying, the spectacle that it is today, oh, you know, you, cannot, you can't not really uh, agree with that. Okay, well let's take let's take some questions from our from our motorsport magazine readers. Um, Mike Mike Dolan wants to know, Jeremy, if Dorna was to reduce or or even take away all the traction control, all the electronic trickery, do you think the same guys would still be at the front? Yeah, truthfully, yes, uh, I I would because you know the factories kind of the, the factories that want to have the best riders still pay for the best riders and. Uh, you know the best riders will always rise to the top i think if you took all of that away though it would kind of be quite a um it would be certainly much more dangerous to be trying to use 250 horsepower with absolutely no electronic aids whatsoever so that might not be the best idea but say you reduce the horsepower to a, a given 200 or whatever and took everything away then i still believe that uh you know the the, the top four or five would still be in the same positions yeah definitely okay um, Chris Hall uh, wants to know, given that um, live television is unlikely due to the, um, the, da the dangers, what can be done to secure the future of real road racing in Ireland and those other countries where it's still... Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's a really good question, isn't it? That's, uh, that, that's one that everybody will have a different opinion about. And I, I truly believe that since I've tasted real road racing, because I didn't really do it until I, my, I stopped racing Grand Prix, yeah. and that's kind of what Matt was talking about, where I haven't really retired. I, I kind of dip in to one or two races a year, one be the Northwest 200, uh, one the Armoy road races, which are you know pure road racing. And I think there are um, certainly races or events like the TT and the Northwest 200 and the Ulster Grand Prix and the Mackay Grand Prix, you know, particular road races that will never, I don't think will ever, ever cease, where, the, where the, the more of the smaller ones are struggling more to keep up, you know, financially, uh, getting the coverage, like, like they are more road races through that, you know, they, they now get coverage, although it's not live te sure. television, it's, it's highlights, you know, sure. broadcast within a, a week's time of it. But I, I suppose uh, 
whilst there's always the hardened road race fanatic, which there are many of in Ireland and Northern Ireland and the Alaman TT and that, you know, once that, whilst that supports there, those those races will always continue. Yeah. And I, 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 I still think they're absolutely great spectacles to watch a Northwest 200, you know, to watch uh, Hutchie coming back this year, the TT and, and having a, an incredible year after, you know, such a, a, a bad patch has, has, been, has, has been as exciting to watch as many MotoGP. How, how do you compare, you know, spending most of your career on uh, short circuits and now you're doing road circuits how do you compare is it more fun is it more scary is it uh, you know what's the what's the difference between racing around a short circuit well you, uh, you probably know because you've done you've done the tt which is something i've never done i i don't believe i could have learned the tt in the time that i've been given you know I, I, it would have taken me probably two to three years to kind of learn where i was going and i, I didn't have that time to put into it Whereas with the Northwest 200, when you go up and have a look at it, you can tell quite quickly there's, there's not an awful lot of learning in it. So the approach is quite different. You know, you, you have to ride with a, a little bit in reserve. Obviously, you can't just attack it like you would with a circuit. Uh, it would be stupid to, to try and think that, you know, you, you can ride it like a short circuit. Even though the riders today, you know, and everybody will know who I'm talking about, you know, the Michael Dunlops and... Who, who look like they absolutely attack it like a short circuit, I still think that every rider keeps that little bit in reserve. You know? and, and if you remade the Northwest 200 as a short circuit and stuck it somewhere in a big field, you know, people would go around it faster, wouldn't they? Absolutely. You know, if there was yeah, nothing to yeah, hit. Yeah. But do you, do you enjoy sort of racing through sort of villages at 170 miles an hour? Is it kind of quite... I always used to just really enjoy doing silly stuff like that. Isn't know? that just like coming from Heathrow with you? Is that, it's not the same thing? Joey, yeah, yeah. Joey, Matt could take you around the TT course. You, you on the back, he could show you around. You he could actually. You could, you could teach me. Although I think it's, it's past me now. I've, I've definitely got it out of my system. I don't want to do it. But yeah. Joey and Lop used to say, you know, it's just a blur of grey and green, and you try to keep it on the grey part. But that, that, that's, that's really what you're, you know, you're doing when it's the build-up during the week of the Northwest 200. You know, thankfully, the, 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 the organization of the race is, is really top quality, so you've got time to build into it. You know, if you're kind of thrown in at the deep end and you have to learn somewhere really quickly, that's when mistakes are made. And you know, you've got two days of practice, so you don't really have to go you know, balls out in the first couple of days. You, you just get yourself there. And really, I don't really get going until kind of the first race, to be honest. Yeah. And if you went to the TT, you're a big name. There would be kind of horrible pressure on you to, to perform, wouldn't there? And you just don't want to go there well, it's, it's, with that kind of... I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't think I would be competitive, so there's no point, you know, you know I, I'm not going uh, to, I'm certainly not going to um, pretend that I, I, I would go there and be quick. I, I, I know I wouldn't be, so I'll, I'll, I'll just basically, you know, I'll give it a miss and uh, do the other things that I'm enjoying doing. You know, we got an invitation to go to Australia in January, a race the Phillip Island International Classic. I did Indianapolis, the, the, the support races over the last three years with Harley Davidson. The Northwest 200, the Armoy, kind of just enough to keep me, you know, just just happy enough, you know, just out of. You know. You're doing a lot of the weird stuff, aren't you? Classic racing, Harley Davidson racing, street racing, just kind of really, I guess it's all different, isn't it? And it's a diff different, probably a little bit less pressure than what you, you know, when you were doing it fully professionally I, and you're enjoying I yourself. I think I think you think it is until you you know you, you turn up and when you turn up <laughs> the pressure gets to you and then you look around at the opposition. The opposition have been racing the this championship for the whole year and you've got to dip in and, and actually, you know, be competitive, you know, as I did with the Harley Davidson thing. I, 
I got as much pleasure out of winning that, you know, as I did winning the Northwest 200 this year with, you know, Ryan Farquhar, my teammate, winning one, and, I, and then I won the next one. So it, I think you, through your career or at end of career, when different things come along, you certainly get as much joy out of, or out of riding a bike competitively, wherever it might be. And you find that now, in your early 50s, the competitive juices are still exactly the same as they were 30 years ago? I think it's even more fun because everybody knows I'm 50, you know, and they don't expect me to be fast. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that's, that's got another little edge to it, you know, uh, uh, and it's, it's great, you know, being competitive to ride against riders that are in their early 20s still. But as I said earlier, you know, I'm picking and choosing the ones that I know I can do that at, and uh, I'm not, not, not trying to... Um, dip into championships and I'll, I'll never be competitive at again so it's, it's and Jeremy level. still does a lot of work for does a lot of work for KTM works on their development team so he's developing road bikes for them and you know so he's still fully locked into to riding all the time he's done some film work haven't you um, you know uh, so you're just, <laughs> along, you're just yeah. kind of gun for weird, hire really yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah it's great the way you, your, your career just kinds of you know changes direction every every other day you know you go somewhere else and things have turned up that i would never have dreamed about but yeah i'm not really sure what's going to come along but it's been it's been a lot of fun and still staying within the industry and you know what it's like you know once you've, you've spent so long doing this there's not really much else for us out there you know you're you, you know you've made your bed and you kind of got to lie on it so you you know don't fall out with people keep those doors open yeah. you know work with with companies and teams and personnel that you've worked with before and you know, don't burn any bridges and that's kind of been what my philosophy's been all the way through my career try to keep those things open and it's worked out really well you know if you remember I nearly rode for KTM in about 2005 and uh, for one thing or another it didn't work out and Shaky Byrne got the ride and uh, you know and, and I walked away from it but it came back and now KTM asked me back afterwards and I've been doing quite a lot of development work as Matt says on the road bike stuff, um, some race stuff, some things that we're talking about for next year. I know one of the questions was, you know, Pike's Peak and what have you. There, yeah, there's talk about that as well. So maybe there's things in the pipeline that are really interesting. Well, actually, we have a question from somebody called McNewby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. And uh, he says, are you serious about um, running Pike's Peak? Again, that's a, a, a really good question because, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it worth that risk? Um, you have to weigh up what it's a big drop and it's a big drop yeah and when you look at it you know you watch the the onboard footage it's it's bloody frightening yeah it really is and it's you know you kind of think should that should i give that a go and uh i probably will i want to go and have a good recce at it and have a look and see and then have a you know try to work out how long to learn that it's a bit like the tt isn't it yeah. you know only you've maybe how long's the road oh uh, it's about uh it's quite. It's quite. It's quite a distance. A lot of it's, corners. It's, I, I, I worked it out in corners. I think it was something like was it two hundred and thirty corners or something. Wow. So, so, that's, yeah. so, so you, I like. I like the way you say it's bloody frightening. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's really go and have a look. I think a lot of the a lot of tracks that I look at, I kind of weigh them up in how many blind corners there are. If if there's an awful lot of blind stuff, then it's very difficult. And if it's if you can kind of find the apex, then. Uh, you know, then then it should be doable, but uh, uh, we haven't decided on it yet. It is in the pipeline to have a look at. Well, that's the thing with the TT that it is not nearly all, nearly pretty much every corner is blind, and right. generally the the apex is you can't see the apex. You know, and the, the temptation is always to dive in early, isn't it? Because yeah. you think, oh, I want to get into this corner, and 
That's you know, if you go in early, you're yeah, going to yeah. come out really wide. And yeah, absolutely, yeah. A lot of the TT corners are so fast, you're doing 130, 140 miles an hour, that if you want to change line coming out, it's no chance. Ain't, yeah. It ain't going to happen. So, yeah, that, that's the big thing about the TT is, is learning all those apexes that you can't see. Frankly, I'd rather, I'd rather walk to Euston Station this afternoon <laughs> than go on the back of your Triumph Tiger. If you still, don't. Still no, no offence, no offence, Matt. I thought I was very sensible and very old, but I don't know, anyway. maybe I'm not. Jeremy, Jeremy, um, you mentioned filming work just now, and I've got to ask you about Scarlett Johansson. I think we're all a bit um, envious of you working with Scarlett Johansson in a, in a film called Under the Skin. Under the skin what, kind yeah. of, what kind of film was it, Jeremy? Mm, it was a, a, bit, um, a bit different. I think we could say it's a bit arty. Um, got mixed reviews. Um, Guardian gave it five stars. You know, I wouldn't have given it that many, but then... Again, you know, it's it's. I, I suppose I kind of watch different stuff, and that's it's. Um, it was one of those kind of uh, things that a door opened. You know, I, I got a phone call and they asked me would I could I come along and uh, ride in a movie. They wanted a bad guy in it, and uh, I kind of thought you know Sony was pulling my leg, and then it transpired that you know when I spoke to the um, producer that that they, it it was what it was and. Getting to work with with Scarlett and ride through the the Highlands of Scotland in the, the dead of winter was was something else. It was something quite different. But I, and and I did enjoy. I really enjoyed getting into the you know into the character. I suppose you know into the scene. That's that's as much fun as mm. as jumping into a race because you know you, you've got to you've got to pull it off. You can't really make any mistakes. You've got a certain time to do it. Yeah. And that was it was um, so you could kind of relate it to a little bit to how you you prepare for a. You know, for a for a, a one-off fast lap or something, you know, and and that's it was it was certainly one of those things. You know, I never never thought I'd I would I would have had the chance to work with Scarlett Johansson or <laughs> or even work with anybody in the movie to be to be perfectly honest. But it came along and uh, I took it up and really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Well, you missed. If you want to see the film, it's called Under the Skin. And it stars Jeremy McWilliams and Scarlett Johansson. How about that? <laughs> and I think you were saying it might be on Channel 4 soon. Right? I think so it, it, it's, it was Channel 4 uh, supported, and I, and I believe it was either on yeah, well, we'll last Thursday or this okay. Thursday. It's on. It's, okay. they, they are now airing it on. It was in the, the movies, and now it's hit the TV. So. Okay, we've got to ask both of you, Matt Oxley and Jeremy, um, at least I particularly want to ask you about uh, Valentino Rossi this year. I mean, you've you've raced against Rossi, for heaven's sake. I mean, this guy, uh, it really is, it's a piece of history, right, Matt? I mean, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, in, in every single way, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's completely, well, as far as I'm aware, it's completely unique. To, to, to be at the top of any sport for 20 years um, is remarkable. To be as on the top of something like motorcycle racing, which is, you know, let's face it, it is reasonably dangerous and you know even if even if you, you get out of it all right generally well ask, ask Jeremy you know you, you get injured a lot and eventually you get fed up with being injured and you yeah, give up yeah. and 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 uh, but Rossi just keeps on going and and, and even you know do you think what happened to him especially in 2011 2012 two horrible years with Ducati crashed you know three four times as much as he did normally kept getting battered about and, and then was involved in in that, that horrible crash with Simoncelli, yeah. you know, his best mate, he was involved in a in you know, the crash. You know, I mean, it's just, 
yeah, I cannot work out in my own head how he manages to do that in his own head. And uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. I mean, somebody was saying maybe Steve Redgrave was at the top of his sport for 20 years. I'm not sure, you know, the rower. But kind of rowing is a little bit different from motorbike yes. racing. I'm not, I'm not in any way denigrating what no, no, sure, he achieved. Sure, sure. But you know, the, the, to, to, yeah, it's just astonishing and, and, and just wonderful to see. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. As a, as a, as a, as a top rider yourself, what, what is it about the guy that makes him just that... What is it? What is he? What is it he's got? Well, he, he, he's certainly something very, very special, and really, you know, MotoGP is kind of revolving around the, the Rossi era. Still is. Uh, there are other great riders, but yeah. not, but not great characters. And I think you know that's the what you know what typifies Valentino. He's 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 determined. Obviously, he's really determined, and it's it. What I really love about him is that he it's nothing to do with the money any longer because he's got more than he'll ever ever need but the fact that he kind of wants to race for position even though he kind of should be thinking about points like in the last race where he fought you know with Pedrosa and really wanted those five points more than anybody else but you know he wasn't prepared just to sit back and give Pedrosa the second position he wanted it so badly from so I think that that kind of typifies what what the man is is he, he he loves uh, he loves you know just just being in front of anybody else. He, he he wants to win. He wants to win world championships at at a ripe old age of thirty six or thirty seven, whatever he is now. And that's I think that's why we all we all love him because he's just not a not kind of fading away. Where we all expect riders of that age mm. to slowly fall down the order and you know basically you know melt away. But he he, he just keeps at it and. Uh, and he's given 100%, you know, regardless whether he's going to crash out or whatever. I think that's why uh, we, we love watching MotoGP at the minute. And the, the, the lovely, the, at, at Aragon, you know, when he got beaten by Danny, you know, those points that he lost there could prove yeah. crucial to the outcome yeah. of the World Championship. And yet, in the press conference, <laughs> yeah, in the press conference afterwards, he was completely relaxed and happy. You know, a lot of riders would come in there thunder-faced, mm -hmm. thinking, I've lost those points. I'm so angry, but he just seems to be one step ahead of it all the time and just enjoying it for what it is. And I think he's just particularly enjoying being in the battle for the World Championship. Obviously, he wants to win it. Even if he loses it, he'll just shrug his shoulders and go, well, you know, I, I lost it, but I, yeah, I gave yeah. it and I had a lot of fun doing it. And there's very few riders that yeah. can, I think, get that much enjoyment out of it, you know, whether they're winning or slight just getting beaten, you know, like he did on Sunday. But And I think that is one of the things. He just loves it, loves it, loves it, you know. And it's, it's, the, it's the elation of winning, you know. That's really what it's about. There's, there's nothing comes close. You know, there isn't anything else that, 
it gives you that feeling. Doing it better yeah. than everybody else, yeah. yeah. There isn't yeah. anything, yeah. yeah sure. Okay, Damien, um, let's get on to the Hall of Fame because uh, although we're a, a mainly a, a, a car racing magazine, we also obviously include motorcycling, and it would be ridiculous not to. Um, Agostini is already in our Hall of Fame. Yes, well, um, there's three bikers so far in the Hall of Fame. So uh, Surtees, who obviously straddles both worlds, um, Agostini and John McGuinness. Um, so that gives you a flavour of what we're about. So it's obviously the big names, but in McGuinness's case, someone who didn't achieve anything in, in Grand Prix racing, but it's for his TT record and for what he brings to the sport as a character, which I think is part of the Hall sure. of Fame as well. It's about, it's about what you bring to the sport and yep. um, the personality you are and how the fans react to you so it's these kind of guys that we're talking about um i mean i've got a short list of people that i i would put forward for the for the bike list simon has i'm sure matt's got lots of ideas shall we um, go around the table with yeah. the short yeah. i mean R rossi for me um is an obvious one to to top the list uh, as, as someone who should, who's got to go on this list because of he's still current which is something we we try to actually shy away from for the hall of fame but how can you not include rossi and as, as you say matt to have such a long career and something incredible yeah, he's he's completely unique. There is no there is no one like him. I mean, unique is is an overused and and poorly used word often, but he is unique. And uh, I mean, I would I would add Hailwood to that. Um, I would add Rainey. I would add Doohan. I would add uh, who else? Um, Kevin uh, Schwantz. They're, they're all on my list. Yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Schwantz maybe. You know, it's 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 really yeah. Schwantz would be well up there. You know, it, it, once you get past. Rossi and Halewood, who I would say were the only two who are just absolutely, you cannot argue. After that, you get you into agree a... With that, yeah, yeah I, I would agree with you. Certainly, we never saw the best of Wayne Rainey. You know, he, 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 was, he was unbelievable at the time and, and a big influence in, in my, my early GP career. You know, it was my favourite rider at the time. I, I suppose I can still call him my favourite rider. But then the, the doing years were, were, were you know, so he, was, he was dominating... A bit like Valentino was dominating right now, so I mean, Doom would have to fall into that category. Um, yeah, I, I suppose you know other riders. I had John Surtees. I didn't realise that he was in the Hall of Fame already. You know, just just because he's the only person that's that's obviously done it in two and four wheel. Um, other riders that influenced me, or I watched way back in the day. You know, like the Tom Herons, uh, winning you know world championships on two fifty and three fifty at the time. But uh, would you put Barry Sheen in there? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, yeah, of course. Barry would would, would have to rank right up there. Of course, he would. Yeah, and uh, but I suppose you know because of Kenny and I, I, I worked for Kenny. I rode for Kenny, and I, I, you know, I kind of nearly would rate Kenny Roberts above Barry. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. In fact, in fact, I, when I said Rossi and Halewood would be my you know top two. And then there's a bit of a drop after that. I think Kenny would come, come in there, yeah. quite yeah. close after that. And then, and then you come into Uranies and Schwantzes and Duans and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, 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 he'd be up there, but I think he'd be down another step from Rainey and Schwantz and Lawson and people like that. You know, you, 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 when you're talking about Hall of Fame, it really it has to be somebody who's, you know, very special. Yeah, you're right, with, you're with right. The, 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 yeah. the, the Kenny Roberts thing is interesting because... He was the first American to come over and, and, and do it in Grand Prix racing. And he changed the nature of racing coming from the dirt bike world. So it's, it's the influence that he had on the sport mm. as well, as much yeah, as what he achieved, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, until Marquez turned up, he was the guy that 
that came in and just did stuff ev- different from the way everybody else was doing and everybody else had to kind of catch up and learn <laughs> from him and, and and not only that you know he won three world championships uh his first three world championships straight off the bat having never been even been to europe before uh, and the first year he wasn't even a full factory rider he had That's one right, bike yeah, yeah. and it wasn't until the middle of the season where yamaha were like oh we better give you chicotto's bike to kind of you know uh you Chicago spare bike to kind of qualify on at Spa <laughs> or something. So, I mean, you know, to do that, and he was racing a 250 and a 750 at the same time. So, I mean, you know, when racing was much more chaotic than it is now. Yeah. And then after that, he went on to run his own team and he yeah. won three more world championship with Wayne Rainey and one with Kaczynski. And then he went on and built his own motorbike from yeah. the ground yeah, up, I mean, which, which road, yeah, yeah. Williams yeah. rode and, and scored the last two stroke pole <laughs> position on. So to do that, I mean, yeah. No one has ever done that. Probably ever will ever will do it. And again, I mean, the, the team management distinction again is something that Wayne Rainey, of course, subsequently did very successful. One one name we haven't come to yet, but I think should definitely be on the list is Joey Dunlop. Oh, again, yeah. no yeah, no Grand Prix success, yeah. but I mean, all of those TT wins. I mean, just under cult. I mean, I know he didn't have the outgoing extrovert personality of a Rossi or whatever, but I mean, as a cult hero, oh, I, I mean, yeah. I mean 50,000 people turned up yeah. at his funeral. I mean, that's Absolutely, all you need yeah. to know. And, 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 and not only that, what he did during the Bosnia war, which was he would go around, uh, around, around his hometown area and around Belfast, um, filling his van full of medicines, clothes, hmm. food, whatever, on his own, and not and telling anybody yeah. about this, yeah. and then locking it up and driving <laughs> down to yeah. Bosnia, driving through sort of Serbian sort of, you know, uh, roadblocks and stuff to deliver this stuff. I mean, and, and never did any PR or media or yeah. anything about it on his own, and then drove home again. And, and Formula on One world champion as well. You know, yes. we we, yeah. we remember typically remember Joey for his TT success, but he was a Formula One world champion as well. Something you said interested me just now when you said <coughs> that Kenny Roberts was was your favourite rider can you can you explain that a bit so so when you're when you were younger and you were kind of get it starting into it did you did you watch the guy and think you know i can see what he does on the bike and well uh, tell me he was just kind of before my era but we we all we all knew about him and it was it was nearly before it was really um accessible as i remember you know to watch it on tv you know like because back then I'm going back a few years now, sure. but you know it was grandstand. You know yeah, when I, yeah, I was sure. a kid. Then, then when we started to watch, uh, kind of really started to watch racing uh, proper. You know, Wayne Rainey was the one to me that was at, at, at that time just before I got into racing Grand Prix, because it's, it's 19, 1990, 91, 92, I believe too. Yeah. You know, were very very special years on. Uh, when you watched, you know, Wayne Rennie on a bike, that was that was with Team Roberts, and so the, it was a kind of perfect package. You know, I, I just I think that you know, if you wanted to be anywhere, that's the that's the team you'd want to be part of. You know, that was it was very very special. But you know, Wayne Rennie, I remember a ride at Suzuka. You know, it'll always stick out in my mind where he went backwards and then came back through again and and, and won it. That's what he he after the race. Well, where he said he had an out of body moment um, and I think Senna is the only other guy that I've ever heard of yeah. talk about that and he actually said that you know he was going around and he was looking at himself and laughing and why well, he was sideways yeah because he could it. just do things because he was on Dunlops that year and yeah, he could just right, do yeah. things with yeah. the tires Dunlops pivot the bike yeah. and diddle and he he won the race having dropped back to like fourth or fifth and came back and got Duan and Schwantz and Gardner or Lawson or whoever it was and in the press conference he was 
you know, wanted to talk about the out-of-body experience, <laughs> but he didn't dare because he thought, <laughs> oh God, if I talk about this, these people won't let me back on a motorbike again. So, um, yeah, I think to have an out-of-body experience like that is pretty pretty yeah. special, you know. It's, it kind of really tells you a lot about the weird things that's going on in your brain when you're riding a motorbike or driving a car yeah. at the absolute limit, yeah. getting into your subconscious yeah. and all yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. It's yeah. fascinating, you know. Well, so I, I wanted to ask you... Um, Looking back, what was the best, best, best hour you ever spent on a motorbike? And what was it, you know, when you really had that feeling? There's plenty of those, uh, you know, believe it or not, you know, that kind of does happen when everything just flicks, it kind of comes together and it becomes effortless. doesn't happen very often. But, uh, you know, there are times where you think, I couldn't have raced that race any better. You know, I've probably done as much as I, I ever could. And you get, you know... Maybe maybe one every five years, or I suppose, or ten years it could be. But I suppose that you know that would harp back for me back to the '98 race. You know when I I was battling on a on a private 250 and trying to catch what I could see with the three factory Aprilias in front, and caught up behind uh, Valentino and Caparossi, and then have a fuel pipe come off the top of the. Uh, the tank so the breather pipe which you remember the old one which used to stick on the top and then go like this around the uh the screen and down into a catch bottle well that popped off the top and covered me in in fuel at saxon ring but saxon ring at the time was a a, a shorter circuit than it is today so there was no really long straight so kind of you know the the, the aprilius couldn't really get away so i managed to i caught them up and then of course got covered in fuel managed to you know, flap about and get it back on again. Of course, they disappeared. I thought that was it all over. And then managed to catch them up again. You know, over the, it's, it's a you know, 250 race, you know, Ron Saxon ring was a, was a long affair. He had probably 40, 45 minutes at the time. Caught them back up, got past them one, one lap after another, finished second, had a huge moment, had a huge, huge moment, lost the front end, which I don't even remember anything about until Valentino reminded me on the podium and he said, oh, you nearly crashed. <laughs> I thought, what, what, what are you talking about? He says, the, the black line that came off your front tire on the last lap, he said, went on for, you know, 50 metres. And I, 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 I was so elated of, you know, what I'd just achieved, I completely forgot about it. So you, it's, one of the, it's just one of those races where, you know, I probably should have crashed. <laughs> but I made it finish second and uh, Valentino uh, was there. What about uh, Donington 2000 when you were battling for the lead on a damp track? on the Aprilia Twin with Valentino Rossi, you hadn't at that point won a 500 race. You spent the whole race battling back and forth on a drying line, I think, with uh, Valentino, also Kenny Jr., Kenny Roberts Jr. on, on the Suzuki. And you were ahead, you got ahead, you were kind of pulling away, and then you, did you have the wrong time? I mean, that must well, have been I amazing, just, uh, battling back and forth with Rossi. I, I, I kind of got, a, I, got I, I mean, I came up through from nowhere, Matt. I was, you know, way back on the fourth row or something and came through down track. We'd obviously made our tyre choice. Everybody was on wets, but there were different uh, compounds of wet. I was on a twin-cylinder Aprilia, so it was a lighter bike, much more like a 250. They were on four-cylinder. Uh, Valentino was on a V4 Honda, and uh, Kenny was on a Suzuki. But, uh, you, you know, you make a choice and you, you, you think, you know, you, you go with it. And I, I just took a slightly softer tyre, you know, than I, than I could have taken. But then again, had I taken the harder tyre, you know, would I have caught them? <laughs> and, I, you know, I led the race for about 13 or 14 laps. And uh, as I, it was one of those things that just came, came really easily. And then when I got to the front, I thought, OK, let's make a break. <laughs> you know, rather than had I kind of 
you know, bided my time, it would have been, I probably would have had something left at the end. I had no tyre left at the very end of the race and unfortunately went, you know, moved back from first into third. But still one of the, you know, the best, you know, most fun I've had on a, on a bike and uh, great for the British crowd because we got a, a track invasion. I could hardly get mm -hmm. back again, you know, and I only finished third. So imagine what would happened that I won it. But yeah, it was, it, 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 no regrets, really enjoyed it. They'll yeah. want you in the Hall of Fame, that lot will, because they'll be listening to this. Anyway, Damien, we must get back because we must, we must sort of come to a, uh, a decision about yeah well, so far we've got um, seven or eight names on the list so we've got, we've got Rossi um, Halewood um, is someone we've, we've mentioned we, you know, as an obvious person can we just sort of talk about why Halewood's so special what, what is it about him that, uh, uh, I, I only ever saw him race once or twice when he came back on the Ducati in 78 so I you know I, I couldn't really I can only comment from having spoken to riders who who, who uh, rode against him people like Ralph Bryans who was a factory Honda rider when he was and and so on who who who, who was out on the track with him and he was talking to me about a track they raced at in Finland Tampere I think which is very very dangerous tree lined everywhere and uh, bumpy and sort of gravel on the track here and there and <laughs> and um, they, they went out and, and Tailwood came round him in practice and just the whole bike sort of grinding on the floor, stepping out sideways and on the verge of crashing. And Brian's was like, holy moly, you know, <laughs> he's not going to do that again. And, and he was sort of chasing him. And he, he, Hailwood was doing the same thing at the same corner every lap. The things were all ground out sideways, out of shape, apparently crashing and just carrying on. And, and when Ralph spoke to him after practice, like, wow, Hailwood was like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, he just, yeah. I think, just he, it. yeah, yeah he, he just... He was just a complete natural. He wasn't yeah. very, he was sort of famously technophobic, but he could ride anything. You know, I mean, he won a 125, 250 and a 500 Grand Prix at the same, week, the same weekend, you know. Um, he could ride two strokes, he could ride four strokes, ride big bikes, he could ride little bikes, he could mm. ride short circuits, he could ride the TT. You know, he came back after 11 or 12 years out of racing and won the TT, you know. So uh, I think a bit like Rossi, he's just, he's just up there with the kind of gods, yeah. if you like, you know, it just... But he is, you know, one of those riders that in the day when you had to win on both roads and circuits, you know, and, and he was, you know, multiple world champion and uh, multiple TT winner as well. So he definitely ranks right up there, particularly as Matt said, when he came back nine years later after he, you know, he quit and came back and then won on a Ducati. Never in a Ducati, you know, never is a Ducati and he won the TT. He won, won a senior, actually. Yeah, and, and a hell of a nice guy as well, you know, and, and, and obviously very pretty, pretty good at car racing and, and, and won the George Cross, Cross the highest civilian yeah. medal yeah. in this country for getting, who was it, out Clay, of the car at the moment? Right, okay, so, you know, yeah. there's somebody who owes his life to Mike Hellwood. I mean, you can't get any better than that, really, can you? So No. Um, and yes, we've got Rossi and Halewood obviously in, on the list, and, and um, we talk about eras, and it's almost like there was a rainy era, followed by a do an era. What was it about those two guys that um, that meant that they stood out above the crowd? Yeah, the, I raced against uh, um, both. Unfortunately, Wayne had his, his his accident in '93 when I started, so I didn't get to race it after, with him after that. Whereas with Doon, um that's I kind of doing really etched himself on and anybody that raced against him because he was quite a really really hard character uh really not a, a particularly nice person to get on with on the track lovely off but on the track you know he owned the track 
kind of a little bit, you know, like like they are now with Marquez, and I suppose you know there's that trait in in many of those 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 incredible riders. But Dune had no time for anybody on the track. You know, he believed that was his part of the track, and if you were on it, he was going to run over the top of you. Yeah, which he tried to do quite a bit. You know, with with us particularly privateers, it took a long time to actually get any recognition from the man at all. You know. Uh, and it, you know, I had a fair few run-ins with him right the way through my first couple of years. You know, that would take a long time to talk about. But in the end, we 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 actually uh, he he got some mutual respect from me from somewhere somehow. And uh, since then, we 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 always we got on, just in our in our own. You know, never never friends, close friends. But on track, he was he was something else. I suppose doing had more influence on me because I raced against him much longer, and he was mm. just. He was basically just—he uh, was a machine, you know. He was a robot, and I—and I, I think you know that that Mick Doon for me would definitely rank as one of those riders that would need to be certainly considered for the Hall of Fame. And Rainey, I always just think of as a double act with Schwantz. It's, it was, you know. Yeah, I mean that was, you know, that that, that was your, your sort of um, archetypal grudge match. You know, they they grew up together racing each other in the states, and 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 you know it wasn't a media hype thing. They truly did hate each other. You know, if they walked into the same restaurant, <laughs> they would sit at opposite ends of the restaurant. They didn't talk to each really? other. Wow. Um, I mean, it was a really and and it was still like that when they got to Grand Prix. You know, Rainey got so obsessed with it. Sometimes, you know, he was more obsessed about beating Schwantz than winning a race in a funny kind of way <laughs> and uh, didn't you know didn't matter where he was he just wanted to beat, beat Schwantz it's a bit like Valentino and Lorenzo now isn't it really yeah, yeah exactly you, you know I, I think with Lorenzo and Valentino it's all sort of they've sort of got the sort of dislike for each other kind of fairly under kind of wraps now haven't they but without a doubt it's there you know um, yeah Rainey Schwantz doing they all just had that astonishing control of those 500 two-strokes, which were which were evil things. You know, if if you're a very narrow power band, the tyres weren't as good then. It was the era of the high side when you know you you get on the throttle, the tyre spins out, you shut the throttle, the tyre grips, and and you and you you know you're 10 feet in the air doing 130 miles an hour, and and, and it, it it they were three guys who could ride those things absolutely to the limit, spinning the tyre out the corner. You know, they knew how to get the, the Get it over the top of the torque curve. I think was what Doon always used to talk about. You know, if you could, get more, don't yeah, shut the yeah. throttle, keep the revs going to get over the top of the torque curve, and then the tire will keep spinning and it won't bite, suddenly yeah, yeah. bite and grip. So you know, I mean, just um, amazing hmm. skills to ride those things. And and you know, they all they all en ended their careers injured in one way or another. Yeah. Rainey obviously very badly. Doon pretty badly and Schwanz also you know they, they all stopped racing when they had more in them because th those things but even more, at I their level hurt them you know more astonishing you know was was doing's comeback when when anybody else would have given up you know he, that would for me I, 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 I'm not sure how many other riders could have gone through that at the time you know you saw it, it was the only guy now is Ian Hutchinson you yeah. know, who, who, who yeah. I mean doing it came very close to having his leg amputated and um, had his legs sewn together for six weeks and, and then came back racing like two weeks after they'd been taken apart and, <laughs> and, and missed the world championship by, by one, one point, point from Rainey yeah, or something yeah. like that. And, and, and now you have Ian Hutchinson who's come back from a similar, you know, the doctors wanted to amputate his leg and he's come back and, you know, he's winning Grand Prix again and uh, TTs, TTs again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't think any of us, well, certainly I can't, just can imagine how anybody could do that. 
personally, I think anybody who races a motorcycle should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Every time I watch it, I can't. Well, it's, it's really difficult doing this because we're, we're trying to get a dozen names from the history yeah. of like, motorcycle we, racing. Casey Stoner. We haven't talked about Casey well, Stoner. Yeah, we've we got, at the moment, we've got Rossi, Halewood, Rainey, Doohan, we talked about. We talked about King Kenny, Joey Dunlop, um, Schwantz. Maybe I, I think he'd be in the top twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think did, so. did he, he lose his appetite a little bit after Wayne Rooney had his accident? Oh, definitely. Because the, yeah, the, the, the trigger had gone. It completely destroyed him. Yeah, um, yeah. Plus, he was carrying injuries, you know, that that he didn't deal with very well at that, you know, at that time, and it was easier to walk away from it than to, to carry on. Yeah, he still got you know lasting repercussions from those injuries, obviously, but they were. It's difficult to ride at all when you're carrying those kind of injuries. And I think he knew that Rainey crashed a lot less than he did, and and there was Rainey, poor yeah, Wayne in a wheelchair, and I think he just thought, "Hang on, you know, <laughs> the odds are stacking up on me." And I think he had bit, he won a couple of Grand Prix after that, but um, uh, a few Grand Prix after that. But he, the moment he gave up was, I think, at a winter testing crash he had at Phillip Island, and had quite a big crash at high speed and landed, and then. You know, about half a second later, the bike came out of the sky and landed about a foot next to him. You know, and he just was like, right, okay, I'm not going to, this is, that's a sign. That's a sign. That's a sign. <laughs> I'm going to stop now. Okay. Um, yeah, on all our list so far, we also, we also talked about Sheen. We haven't really talked about him as such. I mean, you know, he won two titles. He was amazingly fast. He, you know, the, the thunder was well and truly stolen, though, as soon as... King Kenny came along. So, what what is it about Sheen though that stands out? Um, why he should be on this list? Do you think? I, I, I mean, you know, huge respect for Barry and so on. But I, I would put him at. I think I'd probably stick him in the top twelve somewhere. But he would be in the lower reaches of it. I mean, he won two world titles, and then and then kind of had his ass kicked by Kenny for several years. But then did actually come back from that. And until he had that huge crash at Silverstone in '82, he was still competitive. And I think if he hadn't had that, I think that you might have had a kind of second sheen era, you know, if you'd had the right bites and everything. So, yeah, I think he should be there, definitely. Um, Rob, you mentioned Stoner. He was on my list as well. What I do mean, you think about, well, about I, Casey Stoner? I, I mean, it's up to Jeremy and Matt to decide because I, I, I'm not qualified to decide. I just thought Casey, you know, I, I mean, I watched him a lot. He won a lot of races. Um, he's, he seems to be unpopular for some reason. I don't know. What do he's, we think? He's an atypical type of... Uh, racer again that australian you know kind of uh hardhead really yeah. and uh, very doing esque about something about him and um you know didn't it didn't kind of go out to make friends and and he, he didn't certainly made no secret of that you know he would have um he didn't suffer fools lately, and uh, or other riders. <laughs> <laughs> as, or as you found out with Scarlett Johansson, it's great to have a bad guy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he, he was he was kind of you, know, you kind of need he, one, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, you need a good guy at the yeah. same the time. The thing was yeah. that he had no interest in being. He, as you said, he was very like Mick. That he had no interest in being famous. He had no interest in being a personality. He had no interest in opening supermarkets or earning money through, you know, doing other things. He just wanted to race motorbikes. And go, go home, home. and yeah. um, fish. And, and he, he did that. Fish, yeah. It's exactly what he did, you know. Um, and 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 one thing, what really made well, there were many things that made Casey special. But he, the one thing that really killed everybody else when he was around was his ability to go out. Lights go out, first corner. He's he's Fast absolutely right yeah. on the limit, totally and he'll right, do that yeah. for the first lap. And in the, in the first lap, he'll gain one or two seconds, and mm. very hard to. And and that Lorenzo learned that, and Lorenzo spent one winter several winters ago basically doing that during testing full tank yeah. 
straight out of the pits and just go 100 yeah. percent. and and that's why well, he's winning now Senna and hamilton d- yeah if, the if, same if, sort if of he, thing. yeah if if um if he wasn't doing that he wouldn't be mm. fighting for the championship riders uh, learn off each other you know they copy each other and you can see that at the moment you know and there's no secret about you know valentino copying marquez's style for instance you know as as did uh, Jorge, you know, copy what what Casey was doing because mm-hmm. Casey could turn up at a track, and you know, wheel the bike out of the garage for the first free practice session and be a second and a half faster than anybody for the first twenty minutes. So he would basically just go out and absolutely mm-hmm. push everything to the limit, kind of just to to, to stamp his stamp his authority on it, yeah, and make everybody feel a little bit inadequate. Yeah, he was very good uh, at that. I, I think um, we've just been speaking about Lorenzo. I think he, you know, the uh, I think he would be in there again in the lower reaches, and also Eddie Lawson, of course, he would definitely be mm. in there. You know, he won four world titles when 500s were pretty. Another one that sprang to mind, you know, would be even Freddie Spencer winning two world championships in the, yeah. in one year, 250 and 500, but and then never winning another Grand Prix. Never, yeah, that's that's bizarre. strange. Yeah, yeah. That, because you know, when you when you win two and you're so dominant over two, which I didn't yeah. believe would be possible in one year, you know, not to come back as you say and not win anything strange. again. Yeah. Well, can, can, I go, can, I, can I go back a little bit, to, even to before Jeremy's time, and throw Jeff Duke into the mix? Because, I mean, he won is it six world championships. And, but, um, he, um, I, mean, I think there was also a bit of a rebel about Jeff Duke, wasn't there? Because wouldn't he have won a seventh, maybe, <laughs> if he hadn't been suspended for striking and demand <laughs> yeah. for great more pay? And well, well, well that I mean, wasn't demanding more pay for him. No, that no, was but actually for riders, for, riders, for, riders for as He was whole. a factory rider, yeah. and because some privateers had helped him in some protest to get i think i think in italy or something at some at some point back then when he was first riding for Jalira, they only paid italians prize money or star money and and he managed to get the italians to come on his side and say that he should be paid Which so he so, so when all the privateers went on uh, strike at Assen in 1955 saying basically we want me you know we're not performing circus animals you know we need money and i think they got 20 quid a start or something that was the offer or something uh, and Duke went on strike in support of them you know he was wealthy had nothing to go on strike for but so again he uh, had that something beyond him rather than just being a very successful yeah. rider he kind of cared about other riders and, and, and also despite racing in the era he did he lived on into his 90s so I think on, on many many levels mm. a remarkable yeah. bloke yeah exactly yeah then uh, we're running out of time. We are running bit, out of time. Guys. Uh, Jeremy's got a car waiting for him. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, we've got we have got a dozen names here. I'll just run run through, and you can tell me if you think that there's anyone glaring that we've we've missed off. So we've got Rossi, Halewood, Rainey, Doohan, Sheen, King Kenny, Joey Dunlop, uh, Schwantz, Stoner, Lorenzo, Spencer, and Duke are our dozen. Um, Actually, there's no Lawson on there. No, we couldn't. We we've, got got no, we've got no, we, we got no we, sidecar competitors. Can we have either. an unlucky 13? Or isn't that allowed? No, it has to be 12. <laughs> no, no sidecar no side races. No. Steve, well, we Steve Webster must one. be on the we list, surely. completely miscounted and ended up with 15, so it's not the, it won't be the first time. <laughs> oh, <dear>. so, <laughs> I, I miscounted, actually. It was my, so. and, and any thoughts on sidecars, Matt? Uh, I, I'm ashamed to say uh, they never you, floated you have no, my have boat. You no thoughts about them you know, I, I like, like two wheels. I like two wheels. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm going I'm to make an editor's decision. I'll take Lorenzo out just because he's yeah, he's, um, now, he's yeah. still got a long way to go. Yeah, I think yeah. he's, you know, L- Rossi he must be surely coming towards the end of his career. It must be in the autumn of his career, really at least. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. Whereas Lorenzo, you, you can I see I wouldn't jump to any conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's true. So, um, 
if we add in Lawson, that makes it up to a dozen. But is there yeah. anyone else there that I've we've missed off? Well, you know, you're going to get told you've, you've forgotten about such and such yeah. and so on. So on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. half the fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting told off. So should we, should we leave it at that for? Uh, yeah, because I think it, I mean it is a it's a it's an ongoing it's a rolling thing. thing. It's an exactly. ongoing thing. I mean the Hall of Fame isn't until the middle of next year. No, the voting will last now until um, the spring of next year yeah. um, before we actually close the close the polls. Um, and as I say, this is an annual thing. So next year we'll do this again basically and, and come up with another another list, well similar to this one, I'm sure. But um, okay. yeah, we can always add other names onto it at that stage. And they'll be on the website on the motorsportmagazine.com. Yeah. So after this podcast, you can go straight to um, to to cast your vote online and as i say it will be open for for quite some time yet so fantastic come on all you bikers all you motorcycle racers all you fans get voting and if we've got it wrong you tell us <laughs> and uh, jeremy williams thank you so much You're thank welcome. you for thank dropping you. in between belfast and silverstone and a few other places that you're about to go to now. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. Pretty little logo you got here. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yep. Shame we're not, shame we're it's not, not here. It's not bad. We're actually we're moving office this weekend, so this is um, a goodbye to Chelsea actually oh. for us. So um, it's nice. This, the Ram. We've recorded a couple of podcasts here before, and it's our it's our local. So uh, it's uh, goodbye to the Ram as well. Goodbye from me, goodbye from all of us, goodbye from the Ram, and we'll see you in our new headquarters next time we're with you. Bye-bye.